a friend of mine has a great quote that I love. And she says, CIA officers are the world's best salesmen. The only difference is you sell vacuums, we sell treason. So you've got to be able to sell ice to an Eskimo. You've got to be able to talk to anybody. If you get stranded, you got to be able to convince somebody, hey, can I get a ride for a few miles? Of course, you're lying out of your teeth. You're not saying, yes, what is your job? I work for the Central Intelligence Agency. This isn't the military where you're going to have a bunch of guys surrounding you. You're going to be out on the streets alone by yourself. How resourceful are you? It's going to be tough. We want to be able to drop you in the middle of nowhere. It's just a mental game and they just try to break you mentally. A lot of times it's your own imagination, meaning you're like, oh crap, I'm being followed. Here in the States, I can run around and drive in circles and I don't care. But there you can't do it because then surveillance will be like, okay, that guy's probably agency because he's trying to evade surveillance. Of course, I'm lying out of my teeth and inside, you know, your heart's pumping, your heart's pumping and your brain starts to play tricks. Like, okay, she knows I'm agency. They're gonna come out with their Uzis and just fill me full of lead. Welcome to Mic Drop the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent time as a police officer right out of college. He spent seven years in the CIA. He's the CEO of his company called Spy Briefing. He's a New York Times bestselling author of Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. He's also a winner on ABC's hit show Shark Tank. Uh, coincidentally, he's the white spy in Spy versus Spy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Jason Hansen. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, what's the last full book that you've read? The last full book. So right now, interestingly enough, I am buying businesses in the niche that I'm in, which is the security, the survival, the gun, the knife niche. And so I believe it was called buy then build or it was some business buying book so so help me learn more about acquisitions so usually the books i'm reading are either gun and self-defense books or business related books yeah i gotcha do you have a uh, a favorite author in the uh in the business space you know massa yub i love reading his stuff mostly articles in the gun magazines um great guy met him years ago and you know i just left the agency didn't know anything about starting a business was trying to learn the firearms business civilian side and he gave me some good advice so i enjoy his reading and then uh clayton christensen for business books the the harvard professor i don't know if he still is but great wisdom a little sometimes too in depth in the weeds yeah but obviously a brilliant guy i guess better to be too in the weeds than than too out of them exactly What's your worst vacation experience? Oh, geez. Well, when I married my wife, I've got <laughs> I'm sure six. she'll love to hear that. Uh, I, well, <laughs> no, I was going to say, I've got six kids, but when I married my wife, I said, there are two things I will never do in my life. She's from California. I said, one, I will never live in the state of California. And two, I will never go to Disney World. So before I married her, I was dating a girl and she had two kids from a previous marriage, and I went to Disney World with them, and it was the worst. I hate that place. <laughs> so that is the worst vacation I've ever had is going what to Disney the, World. What did you hate about it? I, I like natural fun. I mean, I want to yeah. go to the lake. I want to go to the mountains. I want to go hiking. I hate standing in line for 10 hours yeah. Yeah. for a five-minute ride. So no, no manufactured experiences? No, not for me. All right. Uh, do you have a best childhood memory? Well, I was an Eagle Scout, and so I grew up in Boy Scouts, and going to summer camp, where we were shooting guns and camping and doing all that kind of stuff. I remember this place called Camp Rodney, which is somewhere in Virginia or West Virginia, because Virginia, where I'm born and raised. 
Mosquitoes were the worst mosquitoes you ever had in your life. And they sent us with mosquito netting. But of course, as nine-year-old boys or whatever we were, like, we're not going to put this mosquito netting on. Yeah. Miserable night, covered in mosquitoes, didn't get a wink of sleep. <laughs> and then we put our mosquito netting on. Yeah. But despite that, just a great time yeah. playing in the water and doing all kinds of boy stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you have a chapped asshole with uh, how it's scouts now and what they've turned into? Absolutely. So, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We sent more Boy Scouts through that organization than any other organization in the world. But when they started doing all that idiot stuff, my church said, well, we're not going to participate in the Boy Scouts. It doesn't have our traditional values. It's not doing what we want. And I'm just like, how dumb can you be? You yeah. cut off your biggest customer. Yeah. And even the Girl Scouts were mad because the Girl Scouts are, wait a minute, why are you letting girls in? We're, we're the Girl Scouts. Now you're taking yeah. away our girls. Yeah. So, Do you have any idea uh, if, if the... I guess percentage rate has there been a big drop in uh popularity or, or membership with it do you know with boy scouts yeah, yeah it's been yeah. a huge drop i mean yeah. i know because all the sexual yeah. uh stuff they had they're filing bankruptcy and i mean it's a train wreck so i don't know what the exact number is yeah. but they self-imploded a great organization yeah yeah I, I mean i i didn't do a whole lot of it i had a couple friends that did it and i went on some trips with them it was cool i liked doing it. my parents were like fuck that you're not doing it yeah, but, <laughs> yeah we don't want to take they, it they didn't, want to, they didn't want to mess with it uh, so I, I did all sports but uh What's the first three hours of your day look like on a normal day that you're in town? I get up at, yeah, if I'm not training, I'm not teaching a class or a course, I get up at 5 a.m., I go right to the gym, I work out for about an hour, and then I come back from the gym, I shower, I take my kids to school, and then I write and do a lot of writing because I'm always writing a book or writing an article or something like that. So that's yeah. the first three hours. Yeah. Um, specific type of workout? So kind of hit stuff, meaning a lot of body weight. So I'm doing push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, squats. Yeah. i got a bad hip where I need a hip replacement. So I'm not squatting with a huge rack these days, mostly air squats. Yeah. I squatted with a huge rack once. That's what she said. got to throw some office uh, references in. Um, all right. So ch childhood growing up, you said you're from uh, West Virginia. No. Uh, so West Virginia was where the camp was. I'm born and raised just outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. in Northern Virginia. Oh, okay. Um, if you could kind of synopsize what, uh, what growing up, uh, in that area was like, uh, siblings, any significant events that happened? What, uh, what was your childhood uh, like? Generally speaking, I was blessed. I had a great childhood. I had what I'd call a normal childhood. So dad ran his own business. Mom was a school teacher. I uh, have one brother and grew up in a suburb just outside of Washington, DC. And back in the day, it was a conservative, good place. It's not like it is now where it's very, you know, the liberals took over and it's, you know, I don't even recognize it and all the gun laws and stuff. So, yeah, I had a played with friends, friends hung out. Where I was, it backed up to woods. And so I had a four-wheeler that I'd go ride in the woods and I had a creek where I'd go fishing every day, that kind of stuff. So it was a, a perfect childhood for me. Yeah. Um, did you do a lot of outside of the boy scouts a lot of that type of stuff hunting fishing hiking camping that kind of stuff and so area. hunting no and the only reason is is because in the area we grew up in there was really no hunting going on just in a suburb of washington dc and my father wasn't a hunter but fishing yes and you know in high school i was kind of a late bloomer so while everybody else was chasing girls me and my buddies were shooting each other with bb guns in the woods <laughs> running around having bb wars which is actually probably safer than chasing chicks. Except we didn't wear glasses until yeah. one time it went, you know, shot my buddy and it went in his skin and he had to go to the hospital and get yeah. it removed. And we all got him confiscated by mom. Yeah. Nice. Uh, do you mind if I ask what your dad's business was? 
Yeah, it was computer training. Oh, okay. So this was, you know, way back in the day where computers Commodore were just coming 64. online. And yeah, it was like, okay, here's how you use a computer. So that's what he was doing. Oh, no shit. Huh. That's what I mean. That's a, that's a good business to be in. Um, did you play any sports growing up? I did. I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. Couldn't hit a baseball to save my life. So that sport didn't last very long. So it was mostly soccer and basketball were the sports I enjoyed. Yeah. Did uh, did they go anywhere like when you uh, graduated high school and, and ultimately went to college? No, I did not have that much skill, yeah. not that much athleticism. So I wrestled in high school. It was the only high school sport I did just to do something. Yeah. But yeah, neither, neither of them went anywhere. Yeah. Um, what was your thought process in graduating high school, going to college, ultimately uh, becoming a police officer for a brief period uh, did you know at that time that, that you wanted to join the CIA or what What was uh, kind of your, your mental path uh, at that point in your life? So my mental path, I wish I could say it was super clear and well thought out, but no, it wasn't. It was, hey, I'm getting ready to graduate college. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I don't want to spend 40 years at a desk job pushing papers. I live in the Washington, D.C. area, so every government agency is in my backyard so I went hard putting out applications. I put it to police departments, the CIA, the Secret Service, a bunch of other organizations I can't even remember right now. Where did you go to college and, and what for? So I went to college in Radford University, which is in Southern Virginia. It's right near Virginia Tech, and it's the redheaded stepchild of Virginia Tech, basically. <laughs> All right. And I went to school for business management. Again, yeah. some I hated school. Like, yeah. I am not a formal education guy. I mean, oh, like the thought of going back to school, I'd rather jump off a bridge kind of thing. So I went to, it was, I'm graduating high school. I'm not sure if I'm going to go to college. My dad says, okay, I don't care what you do, but you have two weeks to be out of my house if you're not going to go to college. Yeah. I was like, eh, college sounds kind of good. You know, maybe, maybe I'll go to college. <laughs> so I went there for the, the hanging out, for the socializing. I mean, I hardly ever went to class. I didn't, you know, I scheming, okay, you're going to go on Tuesdays. I'm going to go on Thursdays. Yeah. That way we get the notes. But I graduated college, fine you know, good enough to get me to the agency. And I ended up getting a job offer. Well, so I ended up getting a, my first job out of college was as a police officer, but I'd already put in all these applications to federal agencies. And so very shortly thereafter, the CIA and the secret service offered me a job the same week and figured the agency would be more exciting and have more fun. You know, I knew people who had been secret service agents and, you know, one of the guys was like, listen, I'm, I'm on the presidential detail and everybody thinks it's the most glamorous, exciting thing in the world. I'm like, you know what I did yesterday? I stood eight hours at a door at a hotel. That's yeah. all I did. Yeah. Um, and my company now does executive protection work. We do a lot of celebrities, musicians, and I oversee it, but I just, I do not find the work yeah. enjoyable enough for me. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. Um, so with the, with the CIA then, so if we could, just police officer wise, did, did you have any experiences as a, as a cop that... Uh, I guess kind of influenced any of your career in the CIA or your life? Like, were there any big ticket items that took place that, uh, that you recall? You know, there weren't. One of the things that jumps out at me is I just remember we're in the academy and one of the instructors saying, we're going through deadly force law and all that type of stuff and saying like, if you are not prepared to kill somebody, get out of here now. Yeah. If you, you know, you never draw the gun. If you think you're going to threaten somebody or wait, like when you draw that gun, you got to be prepared to pull the trigger. That's the only reason it's coming out is you think you may have to use it. And so that was what stuck out on me. And I remember I, maybe it was one person didn't show up the next day, but for me, I've had, I mean, right and wrong is very black and white for me. Yeah. If someone's breaking in my home to home invasion, I have zero problem pulling the trigger. 
You know, I've had to draw my gun twice, two times with the agency and never had to use it, never had to shoot anybody in my life. And I hope I never have to, but there was no moral qualms or hesitation because, hey, this guy's going to kill me and I want to go home tonight. Yeah. As a cop, did you do any any beat work out? out yeah, just, but again, really nothing special, nothing, you know, patrol type of stuff, you know, DUIs and nothing, nothing remarkable or to write home about. You didn't bust any senators with a sack of blow off and <laughs> no, hooker yeah, yeah. or anything? No, no, not, yeah. not, not that I remember. Though I was, <laughs> I was in Arlington County, so yeah. just over the bridge from Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, none of that. Yeah, oh, that's too bad. That'd, that'd make for a good story. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. All right, so the CIA calls, you blow off the Secret Service. Walk us through the, the path of, you know, once they say, hey, we're interested to bring you on, what, like, how, how does that go? Very long, very intense. Took me 12 months from the day they basically call me and send you the letter in the mail that says, hey, we might be interested in you. Then you, and I'm trying to think of the exact process, how it went, is you go and meet somebody with a person, you do a psychological where you fill out the 600 questionnaire thing to make sure you're not crazy, you're not a nutso, that kind of thing. Then if you pass that, they bring you on back for another interview. Then if you pass that, you take the polygraph. Then if you pass the polygraph, they do a medical. And then I think if you pass the medical, there was one more thing with a psychiatrist or psychologist again to make sure you're not some wacko. Though I can tell you, I work with some people at the agency who clearly skated by that. <laughs> By that lady they met with. So overall, and then of course you got to fill out the uh, the paperwork, a mountain of paperwork, so they can do all the background checks and interview friends and family, and all that. So again, it took me about twelve months from start to finish. Do you uh, recall the polygraph very well? I do. So here's an interesting thing. I was polygraphed by multiple places that I applied for, including the Secret Service and the uh, the CIA. And the Secret Service was much more good cop, bad cop, intense. There were two polygraphers. And they're sitting in there really trying to make you sweat. Like, for instance, I have never done drugs in my life. It's like not marijuana. Right, right. Yeah, never <laughs> marijuana, nothing. Yeah. And they're sitting there yelling at me like, oh, your polygraph's lying. It says you've done drugs. We know you've done drugs. And I'm like, listen, I can't help if it's broken. I've never done drugs yeah. in my life. Or then ask like weird things like, have you ever had sex with an animal? Like bestiality <laughs> questions. And uh, that's fucking great. That kind of stuff. Whereas the does CIA. A, does a furry count? <laughs> does a CIA. Well, yeah, I was just say that's the real reason I didn't join the Secret Service. Just kidding. They did offer me a job. Um, but the agency, they were, not that it wasn't intense and serious, but they were yeah. much more, you know, hey, are you working for a foreign government? Do you have any affiliation with any group that wants to overthrow the United States of America? Yeah. Are you a spy for Russia type of stuff? So those were the questions in addition to character questions. Did they do any of the like ambiguous shit that you see in a movie where like when you answer the thing, they're, they're like... Mm-hmm. Like any of that kind no, of stuff. No, like try no, no. Because, well, the problem is you're facing the wall. So you can't really see oh, what the guy's you. doing over there. So I yeah. never, you walk in, they hook you up to do a whole thing. Yeah. But so unless, I'm, big, unless I'm leaning over, looking behind yeah. my shoulder, I can't see anything that's going on there. So it wasn't really a big deal. Not for me. I mean, I was in and out in a few hours. Now, I had buddies where they had to come back the next day. Yeah. But I got a pretty boring background and nothing, nothing exciting in there. Yeah, I got you. Uh, all right, so 12 months 
takes place, you get all the admin bullshit taken care of. And then once, once you actually walk into the CIA and, and that process starts of, of becoming a, a CIA employee, mm-hmm. uh, what, what was that process like? So you come in and everybody's an agency officer. Officer is just the name for everybody. So sometimes it's like, oh, you're a CIA agent. No, FBI are agents. The CIA is just officer. That's just the term. So when you go in there, they have the first week is uh, kind of orientation week. So you're in headquarters, you're in Washington, D.C. type of thing. And you're going through all the, again, here's how to get your blue badge. Because blue badge are the employees, which is what I had, versus contractors, which are green badgers. And they, here's where the cafeteria is while you're here this week. Just generic stuff. But I do remember they, they ask you to stand up. Like, all right, everybody who's from Harvard, stand up. You know, half the people stand up or whatever. Everybody from Princeton, stand up. Half the people, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. And that, all these top-tier schools. And then they're like, okay, you have not stole, you know, you, where are you from? Radford University <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, so well, how, how big uh, was the group of... That is a great question. I want to say it was less than 50. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything huge or anything. Yeah. yeah 50 of us, give or take. Yeah, I gotcha. Did, uh, did, did people not make it through that, that original? Like, did you start with about 50? And, and not for about? that orientation. So then you go to the farm, okay. which is, you know, the super yeah. secret place. They always talk about in the movies at the yeah. farm is when they start to whittle away and it's more militaristic. Yeah. So I was never in the military again, comp and then CIA, but it was more boot camp mentality more, you know, we want to make you, we want to wash you out and make your life miserable and see if you can mentally take what it's going to be. Same, same group of 50 go through the farm together? No, no, it was a different group. It was, I probably went with maybe 24 there and it wasn't that same group of orientation because some people had, I guess for the specific farm thing, they, you know, they only had it certain times a year. So there had been people that had Orient, been onboarded yeah. and they'd been kind of just sitting around headquarters like being assistants to somebody or yeah. whatever because um, I remember I think I was with the logistics logistics guy for a while until yeah. it was my turn to go to the farm so it was a motley crew of 24 people who I ended up going with yeah and how long is that entire farm so it's a long time I can't say so I've written probably 12 books now and the agency, now I've learned what they'll let me say and what they won't let me say. Yeah. And so the exact time frame, when I wrote it in my first book, they made me redact. But I'll say it's weeks and months, and it's a, it's a significant amount of time you're there. Yeah, okay. Can you say if it's more than a year? Um, no, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a quick side story. So when you first get your job at the agency, a lot of people get that cliche picture where you're standing in front of the agency seal, yeah. like you always see in the movies. So when I left the agency and started my security company, I put that on my website. I get a cease and desist letter from the agency that says, you cannot use that picture of you in front of the agency seal. And so I talked to the lawyers and they're like, yep, you can't use it. And I said, I said former. And they're like, no, it looks like we're endorsing you. Well, I talked to my buddy who's been in this kind of job. And he's like, well, technically you could use it, but what we'll do is we'll bankrupt you by sending you to the justice department if you don't play ball, which is what we did with one guy because we don't like being told no. Really? Yeah. And I was like, well, that picture is not that big of a deal to me. And you yeah. guys have about a gazillion more dollars than I have. Yeah. So I'll, I took yeah. the picture down. Do you know? I mean, why do they give a fuck? Do you know? Well, they, the only explanation they gave me is, again, it looks like we're endorsing you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, hey, I'm a former CI officer. I no longer work for the agency. And on my books and stuff I write, I have to put like, this was reviewed for classification purposes from the agency. However, it is not an endorsement by the agency. I got you. So they're just real worried about that, even though I always make it crystal clear, like, hey, I'm not endorsed by the agency. Yeah. Uh, all right, so back to the farm. The, uh, what was the very first thing that you did when you walked in there? Like, what, what, what's the intro to the farm? 
Is it anticlimactic or do they do some crazy shit right out of the bat? Well, of course you think you're a ninja. I mean, you're, I was 23 when I joined. You think you're 10 feet tall and you're the world's coolest guy. And it's, you know, it's not obviously labeled CIA or anything like yeah. that. It's a, it's a nondescript facility like your office, as I mentioned. Yeah. So you go there and you think you're the coolest cat in town. But you get there and they uh, go to a classroom type setting. And again, they quickly humble you. Like, we're going to make your life miserable. Yeah. You guys think you're, you're cool and you're the best of the best and the best of the brightest. Well, we're about to find out. Yeah. So it's a lot of same PT. You're doing push-ups. You're getting up at 5 a.m. And you're, remember this one instance, there was this guy. And for me, I, I like suffering. I'm very good. I can be miserable and out-miserable somebody else, everything. But there was this guy who, I think he was a former college football player, thought he was a bad son of a gun. <laughs> and they're just pushing us, making him miserable one day. And I see him start to cry. Jesus. And I'm like, of course, that just makes the instructors, you know, more yeah, mad, right? Nice blood I mean, in the water. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's different these days with the way society is. But, I, ho you know, I hope not, but I'm sure it is. Right, right. You, you know, cause, and I'm just laughing, but I'm like laughing hysterically because you're losing your mind and then I get in trouble for laughing. So it's, yeah. Uh, so yeah. They, did, he, did he make it? That guy actually did make really? it. Yeah, that guy. Now, uh, some other people did not. And they just, yeah, they didn't pass the shooting or the yeah. whatever might, the requirements. I kind of feel like crying should be an immediate disqualifier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I do remember that guy. So, I, I don't. We went different paths. So I don't ever what, know what yeah, happened to him. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if there's no crying in baseball, there shouldn't be any yeah, crying in, yeah, the, I hear in the CIA, you. right? Um, all right. So physically, uh, obviously, they're trying to humble you and, and make it difficult. If you were to contrast that to any of the other, you know, wrestling hard workouts or anything in the police academy, or whatever, how would you kind of fare it? compared to anything else you've done was it the hardest yeah it's by far the hardest yeah. but like everything else and you know this better than anyone too it's, it's all mental yeah. it's all a mental game i mean come on now so they they try and push you to the brink because the mantra is alone and unafraid like hey you're gonna be out there by yourself this yeah. isn't the military we're gonna have you know a bunch of guys surrounding you. you're gonna be out on the streets alone by yourself how resourceful are you it's gonna be tough we want to be able to drop you in the middle of nowhere and a friend of mine has a great quote that I love. And she says, CIA officers are the world's best salesmen. The only difference is you sell vacuums, we sell treason. So you've got to be able to sell ice to an Eskimo. You've got to be able to talk to anybody. If you get stranded, you got to be able to convince somebody, hey, can I get a ride for a few miles yeah. kind of thing. Um, and so that, again, it's just, it's just a mental game and they just try to break you mentally. Is that kind of psychological component uh emphasized during your time at the farm and in, in terms of how to be a salesman like did you go in depth into like the internal psychology behind it yeah 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 i mean it's very good psychological training yeah very good and then you there's a lot of scenarios so hypothetically speaking right now they may let's say they drop you in a mall in somewhere in northern virginia and they say to you you have 60 minutes to get somebody's either phone number social security number or birth date and they have a microphone on, you can't cheat. So you can't say, hey, I'm doing this for a school problem. I mean, you got to legitimately do it. Yeah. And you find out who you can talk to. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious, uh, like, hypothetically, if, if you're in that environment, uh, are you going to pick the hottest chick you can find, the oldest guy that you think is easiest to swindle? You want me to tell you who the, yeah. the magic is? A 50-year-old woman. Really? Yeah, yeah. Those tell are the tell me about yourself. Like, she just wants to tell you about. Yeah, it you can strike up a conversation. A lot of times they're cashiers, maybe. Yeah. And so you can, in the agency, you give to get. And when yeah. I say give to get, what you mean is, let's say it's uh, nineteen dollars and eighty three cents. The cashier's there. 
Oh, you could say, oh, you know, my daughter was born in, you know, 1983, September 15, 1983. You look way too young to be born in September yeah. of 19. She's like, oh, my birthday is April 14th at 19. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of stuff. Sounds yeah. corny, yeah. but it works. Yeah. I was, uh, see, my first inclination would be uh, to go the Zodiac sign route. I mean, wh but, whatever you can yeah. wrap it, but yeah, it was older, well, not older, but middle-aged women yeah. kind now, of now, now that you're approaching, get, getting <laughs> right, close yeah, to that age, 50 is an older, exactly. when you're 23, it's a fucking antique, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, uh, all right. So back to kind of the, the time at the farm, um, can you, and I know you got to be a little cautious on how you, how you break it down and the amount of detail you share, but can you kind of gloss over uh, generally speaking, what the different components of the training consist of? Yeah, so you get everything. You can get evasive driving, firearms, surveillance detection routes, uh, protection type of work, counter surveillance. Um, trying to think of, oh, self-defense, obviously, you know, knife defense, gun disarms, hand-to-hand -hand self defense. Yeah. So it's a, <coughs> it's an, uh, training's amazing. I mean, incredible training, amazing training. I'm grateful for it. But of course, you know, what I would say is like, listen, we, if you're using this crap, you really yeah. did something stupid yeah. because the point of the agency is obviously to blend in. You're supposed to look like the world's most boring human being. And if you're firing rounds at somebody, if you're James Bond jumping out of a helicopter in Paris, something's gone wrong. Yeah, no, I, I got you. Um, during that training, uh, is it all in-house cadre or do they like for some of the combative stuff, do they bring experts in or is it all? So what they would do is, you know, it's a lot of contractors coming over, meaning it's yeah. former Navy SEALs or a Delta guy or that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of the, con well, I know the contractors they brought in. I can't name them. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, they were big names who didn't have a military background or CIA. But you, for example, let's say a shooter, a guy who may be the best shooter in the world, competi competition shooter, names you would know. Yeah. They may bring them in to train the instructors who would then train people like me. They train the, the students in there. Yeah. On, on the combative stuff, was it primarily like jujitsu style ground fighting or was it a mix or? No, it was mostly, it wasn't boxing, but it was boxing. Really? Meaning it was like, you need to know how to be aggressive and just pound the crap out of somebody because it's not, and again, this was back in the day before cameras were everywhere. Yeah. But if you get attacked, you're going to beat the crap out of somebody and then run. You're going to get the heck out of Dodge. You're not going to sit around there. So it wasn't a lot of jujitsu stuff. Now, again, I'm sure it's changed type yeah. of thing. But it was mostly, here's how to punch and be aggressive and overwhelm somebody, shock and awe somebody. That, that way they're on the ground and they're gasping for air because you just collapse their windpipe and then you have time to get out of there. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, throughout the entire process there, do you have any uh, concept of where you're going to go or is it like the last three days you're there, you get your orders to wherever you're going to So go? you have an idea, but it changes. I mean, everybody starts at the kind of the low rung of the totem pole type of thing. And obviously, it depends on how squared away are you. Where did you graduate in your class? I'm trying. I'm. I was trying to think where I graduated. Now, honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. I remember I was a. I shot expert when I left the agency, so you get a little expert doohickey thing. But, but yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think where I graduated. I mean, I'm sure I was near the top. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. You know, all the time that I've been alive, the U.S. dollar has always been the primary currency, but that may not be the case much longer. China is set to dethrone the dollar uh, probably sooner than we all think. All of the world's biggest economies are ditching the U.S. dollar for the yuan. Collapsing U.S. currency is causing unprecedented inflation and crashing markets, which you see around us all the time. If that's not enough, it paves the way for the government to take total control over all your money with a new digital dollar. 
Take control of your savings and don't let your life savings become a casualty of currency wars. Now is the time to call the only precious metal dealer I trust, which is American Hartford Gold. They'll show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your wealth portfolio with physical gold and silver. With the finest products, amazing customer service, and a buyback commitment, American Hartford Gold has a five-star rating from thousands of reviews and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. American Hartford Gold supports content like the Mic Drop podcast, and it's committed to bringing you the truth, hence supporting my show. Uh, Tell them I sent you, and they'll give you up to $5,000 of free silver on your first order. $5,000 of free silver on your first order. Call them now. Click on the link in the description, or you can call 855-967-1413. That's 855-967-1413. Or you can just text the word DROP, as in mic drop, to 65532. Again, that's 855-967-1413 or text DROP to 65532. I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, The hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with. And, uh, you know, the, the Bubs brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen, uh, collagen powder as well as MCT oil powder, um, you know, but they also give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which, uh, you know, to me just furthers uh, you know, the, the mission set on veterans day, they give a hundred percent back. So, uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee, the MCT oil powder, the same thing, uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from a joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age, uh, that are integral components to, uh, to health. And so, uh, to be able to work with Bubs Naturals and, uh, be able to, to work with them and, and sponsor a product that, uh, number one is a high quality product. And number two is, is so near and dear to, uh, you know, to my heart and to the Mike drop podcast for, for who it, uh, was started for and what it stands for. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to be. So, um, it is whole 30 approved. Um, it's uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that um, you know right now they're they're offering twenty percent twenty percent off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to to try it out, incorporate it into your day day to day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health. And, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bub's honor. So uh, go to bubsnaturals.com. Mic drop is the code 20% off. Is, is it broken down where out of those 24 candidates that when you show up at the farm that like 
this person knows they're going to be in the computer realm or cyber realm. This person's going to be so. Like, people, or, or so I was, I was in. I'm not, you know, I'm not again be generic just because yeah. I don't want another cease. So I was more in surveillance, counter surveillance, um, protection type work. Do you know that there though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that, yeah. That's what I was going for. That now there were some other people who wouldn't exactly like that. But if you were an analyst, or if you were just going to be a like the DSNT, the Director of Scientists and Technology, you would not go to as long a training as I had. Because you. um, you're not going to be carrying a gun or needing a gun. So you may go to a FAM course where, okay, you're just going for a week to the farm to learn how to use a Glock 19 or how to use an AR, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, okay. And that group of 24, were they all geared more towards the same stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I mean, there was a few thrown in there that I think had got an injury. Like, hey, you know, I broke a leg at the last year. I got to be in this one. But yeah, most of them were in the same group of what I was doing. I gotcha. Can you characterize how many different departments there are within the agency? Like, or even how it's broken down? There's a lot. There is a lot. Um, I, mean, like, I guess like from from their kind of lightning diagram structure standpoint, how do, how do they organize it? Is it? I mean, there's different directors. So there's the director of science and technology, the director of operations, the director, I mean, I can't even remember how many directors now, seven directorates, whatever. But of course, each one has so many different things. Like here, your job is basically B&E, breaking and entering to go place bugs. Uh, your job is lock picking, and all you're going to do is get through the doors so the bug guy can, I mean, very specific type of things. Um, and the agency is so compartmentalized. Yeah. So I think it was during the 80s where Aldrich Ames, the CIA guy who betrayed, got a bunch of people killed because he was working for the Russians. And back in the day, like when you got into headquarters, you could go wherever you wanted to walk around now. Well, now if you walk into an office, you're not supposed to be and They're like, all right, Jason Hansen, why the heck are you in this office? You're not. How many times did you hear that? <laughs> this office, yeah, bro, every single day yeah, every time everywhere um, you are so yeah you see, a lot of times you have no idea what the other yeah. hand is doing that sounds like a bad thing but like well no i get it i mean it to me it's a double-edged sword i mean you see kind of the opposite of that uh within socom as an example with uh with the iran fiasco when special operations command was basically born out of that right hand not talking to the left hand thing so there's obviously a need for uh, extensive communication and, and transparency in that regard. But, you know, when it comes to the tradecraft and kind of the secrecy within that organization, I can certainly understand why there would be compartmental. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's such to an extreme. And I'm just, yeah. again, all hypothetical is let's say we recruited, recruited two Russian sources. Yeah. They could work in the same office, two different handlers can be running them. Of course they don't know about each other yeah. kind of thing. I mean, it's that compartmentalized. Yeah. And the reason you always got to have multiple sources, you always verify the information. So if you're my Russian asset in the government and you're telling me all this crap, well, I got to have other Russian assets so I can say, hey, is he, you know, telling me legitimate stuff or is he just trying to live off the U.S. government tax dollars yeah. feeding me a bunch of BS? So it's, yeah, there's a lot sense. of redundancy going on in there. Yeah, no, it makes good sense. Um, all right, so once you, well, actually one more question about the farm, the food. Was the food worth a shit? You know, actually it was good. Really? Like I'm ca like catered brought in or no, it's a cafeteria yeah. style, but, and you got to remember, I was a single guy at the time. I, this is disgusting saying it now. <laughs> I would go to the grocery store and get 30 TV dinners yeah. every single month. And then, then just shove my fruit that, Like that's yeah. how I ate. So yeah. going to the farm, we had this cafeteria, all you can eat, yeah. good food. I was like, all right, I'm living now. And I'm assuming you guys stay there 
in yeah, the whole time. Yeah, just think of right? barracks for yeah. lack of a better word. And, yep. and for the time that you're there, is it seven days a week? Do you have days off? I want to say it was six days a week. Can't remember. I, I think we did have one day off. I don't remember us doing anything on Sundays yeah. unless something popped up where like, hey, we're having this special training exercise. Yeah. But I want to say it was six days a week. Yeah. Are they sticklers uh, similar? I know you weren't in the military, but you have a good concept of like that boot camp inspection mentality where your room and your uniform and so it started off that way and then it got pretty laid back so you know in the beginning they're trying to break you but as you're there longer and longer it becomes very laid back and they're it's not as militaristic not as horrible but in the beginning they're just again trying to make your life miserable and see all right which which guy's weak and we can get get out of here asap i mean could you live like a total fucking slob there if if you wanted like are, are there like are uh, not, in the, not, rooms? not in the beginning, yeah. but towards the end, yes, really? you, you could, you yeah. could be a disgusting, and I'm trying to think <laughs> there were certain times yeah. where I had to share, but then you were moving yeah. around and I had, I mean, it was basically a cot. I mean, it was nothing yeah. fancy, but I'm pretty, again, my memory's starting to slip me. I'm pretty sure I had my own room towards the end and yeah. I, it could have been a disaster. Nobody don't would check, huh? not, not towards the end. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm assuming you can't like order pizza or nowadays DoorDash shit there, right? No, no, yeah, yeah nothing, nothing's coming through yeah. there. I mean, yeah. you were going to the cafeteria, yeah, but you could go there. I don't remember what the hours yeah. were, but it was like a cruise ship basically. You go to there all the time and be fat and happy. I gotcha. Are they uh, sticklers for like di- like not being not having chewing tobacco or smoking or anything like that, or do they not give a shit? I'm just trying to think because I knew plenty of guys who dipped. So yeah, I don't think they cared because probably half the instructors yeah. were doing dipping. So yeah, I don't remember that becoming a problem at all. Well, that's a big difference in the military. Like pretty much all the instructors dip, but they'll they'll make you swallow a whole fucking can if they catch you doing. Oh that. no, yeah, I, I didn't see any yeah. of that or that's, that strictness. Yeah. That happened to me twice actually, but jeez, in uh, in SEAL training. But uh, that's a whole other story. But all right, so you you finished the farm in a nondescript amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you graduated, uh, where was where did you go first? So I was at headquarters and I was doing, and then you kind of, for lack of a better word, TDY. And it was, and this is where I'm going to be, not shady because I'm not trying to be shady, but it was more protection work, surveillance work, counter surveillance work. I mean, it was, you know, going back to executive protection work, right? Where I'm like, I don't do that anymore, even though our company does it because it's boring is, you know, spending 12 hours, which I was a low man on the totem pole. So I, of course, got the night shift, like spending 12 hours running surveillance on a high value target is about as fun as a root canal kind of thing. So I did a lot of that type of stuff. Um, You know, at the time I enjoyed it. Now I say I hated it. It was whatever, but it was very, you know, again, I'm working with the CIA and blending in like these people have no idea who I am. And I'm watching this super special target kind of thing. So it was more, that, that was the rush it gave me. And like, yeah. and like, uh, you know, fake news is a term these days, which everybody knows. But remember back in the day, something happening and the news would report one thing and I know the truth and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the news got it right or excuse me, wrong and didn't know this. Or I'd, you know, I'd be somewhere, like I worked in an operations center at headquarters for a time. And like Jack, uh, I would say Jack Bauer, was that his name? Yeah. <laughs> okay. A, a lot less cool, obviously, than, than the yeah. show. But, you know, I know something going down and call my family and be like, hey, I can't tell you why, but do not go into the Washington, D.C. area today. Yeah. Right? Type of thing. So it was more exciting of all the knowledge and the training and more of like, here's who I'm watching so they can snatch kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Was it all in the United States? No, no. I went to, um, 
I, I traveled to Europe somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was in, I'm trying to think, say this. I wasn't in Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like that. And I always tell people, they're like, you know, how many guys did you kill? How many guys did you shoot? The agency has the paramilitary branch, which after September 11th, obviously became very paramilitaristic. So those are the guys shooting people, jumping out of the planes. Those are the guys who are the former former SEALs and all the former uh, spec ops guys. I was like, no, 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 guys, that was not me. I was a regular boarding Joe walking down the street, blending in where people see me. They'd be like, okay, that guy's probably an accountant or that guy. You know, I was not like a high speed, low drag type of guy. Were there any instances uh, overseas where where you either fucked up or almost fucked up where like you made a mistake and somebody was like, wait a minute, that doesn't add up? Or were there any close calls like that? A lot of times it's your own imagination, meaning you're like, oh, crap, I'm being followed. Yeah. Because at the agency, you're running a surveillance detection route. Um, for you know anybody listening, all that means is instead of going straight from point A to point B to your destination, where your final destination is, you are going to the dry cleaners. You're going to Walmart. You're going to Starbucks. You're making sure that when you go to those different stops, you don't see the same car or the same people or anybody, and you're using channeling and stair-stepping and one-way streets. And But it all has to look like you are doing something purposeful, meaning here in the States, I can run around and drive in circles, and I don't care. But there, you can't do it because then surveillance will be like, okay, that guy's probably agency because he's trying to evade surveillance. So when I'm teaching people surveillance detection, I say, think of it as a birthday party, meaning you might go to the get the birthday cake first, and then you may go to another place and get birthday balloons. Then you may go get a a present for the kid, right? It all has to look logical and make sense, and that's what a surveillance detection route is. So mine was more, I've got to give you one time. So I think I'm being followed. I'm not 100% sure that I'm being followed, but you can't take any chances, obviously. And that's, that's another thing, that the stakes are high enough where it's not like today where you're like, ah, I don't care if, you know, I don't, stakes are high enough where you're not playing games. You know this. So I think I'm being followed. And I see this shop and it's like a fancy olive oil shop at the place I'm at. So I go to this olive oil shop and I look around and mostly women in there. And about two minutes later, the guy I think is following me goes in there. So that's what we call an intrusion point. Meaning I went in, so he has to follow me in. It's an intrusion point. So... This guy follows me in about two minutes later, but of course I can't turn around and be like, ha ha, I got you sucker. So I'm shopping for olive oil, asking the, the owner questions and- In English? Yeah, 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 this, yeah they spoke English. Cause I always, I always played the dumb American, yeah. which works out very, very well. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you how to bribe the police overseas and how I had to do that once in a moment, but I always play the stupid American that I'm just there yeah. kind of thing. And so I'm asking the woman all this stuff about olive oil. And I'm like, all right, you know, been there long enough. I'll take this bottle, go up to the, to the cashier. And this is, an, I'm in the denominations there, it was different. But for US dollars, say like the woman's like, all right, this is $75. And in my mind, I'm like, what the heck? This is $75 for this stupid little bottle of olive oil. But I'm like, oh, okay, you know, no big deal. Paying cash because I don't want any receipts or, you know, credit card, things like that. So I pay in cash, get my stupid bottle of olive oil, which by the way, I kept all these years. And my wife, someone's what, 10 years old, recently used it. And I was like, that's our magic bottle of olive oil that you gave away. But anyways, (laughs) um, so after I bought the bottle of olive oil, of course, I couldn't go to my final destination. And then you have to run a two-hour SDR home to make sure the boogeyman's not following you. SDR is what? Uh, Surveillance detection route. Okay. And 
The whole point is you want to lull surveillance to sleep. You want to be the world's most boring human being. Yeah. We're like, all right, that guy's not a spy. He's not agency. We don't want to follow him anymore because yeah. he sucks. Is there a specific protocol for that? I mean, obviously it's going to depend on where you're at, but is like, what, what are the guidelines that, that they would give you or that you would adhere to, to, to be boring? Like what would be an example? Um, basically the, the, the verbiages parallel the truth. And meaning, right now, I'm married, I have six kids, I run a business. So if I went undercover, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm a single guy who, you, you parallel the truth, because it's so much easier to do that. Yeah. So just act as if, what are you, you know, what are you, in your mind, are you doing for that day? So, okay, I'm an American businessman. Great cover, right? I'm over there, or maybe sometimes you're over there as a tourist, if you're going to be a, a quick in and out thing. But, hey, I'm an American businessman, today's my day off, and I want to go shopping because I'm new to this country and I want to buy some olive oil, right? So you just do exactly what a person like that would do. And establish routines, because routines put people to sleep. So if you're in a, a country, for instance, go running every single morning. Going running is a great way to case places, to gather surveillance. And you do it every single morning, same routine, same time. So they're like, all right, crap, here's this, here's this American. He goes running at 6 a.m. We don't have to pay attention to him. And while you're doing that, of course, you're saying, okay, here's the cameras, here's this play. You can, I mean, you just, you do normal everyday routines of how you live your life and it's boring. And yeah. that is how you stay off the radar. Yeah. In, in this case, that two hour try to put him to sleep, what, what did you do? So let me think what I did. Uh, always going to dinner is a great one because you can buy a lot of time. So I think I I walked, went shopping, took a cab somewhere, and then went to a restaurant. And again, I looked super boring and then went for another walk. And once I was convinced I had zero surveillance, then I went home. Yeah. Now, you always have a hunker down site. And the hunker down site is, hey... If crap really gets dangerous, you think you go home, you go hide under a bridge. Um, you're always making friends with people, meaning everybody there, like if there's homeless guys, you're giving them stuff because you never know if that homeless guy is going to need you to be in his cardboard box where he can hide you type of stuff. Yeah. So you're, you're whoever it is, you never know who's going to come in handy. Yeah. Um, I mean, one time, and again, a place I can't name, I'm coming out in the morning to do my running and I see these two guys coming at me. Let's say they're 50 yards away at the time. And I noticed they don't match the baseline. They don't blend in. They're not wearing the cultural... I mean, they stick out like a sore thumb. As I'm getting closer and they're walking right at me, this is how unprofessional these knuckleheads were. They look at each other. Or so they look at each other because they were here. They look at me and then they step apart trying to force me in between them. As soon as I saw this, of course, I turned around and took off running. These guys take off running at me, but when two people are trying to kidnap me, I become very fast. And so I ran and I ran to a hunker down point. Now for this specific one, it was actually in a hotel, nothing fancy, nothing whatever, because a hunker down place could be anywhere. It can be, as I said, under a bridge. It could be, you've gone to this hotel and made friends with a person behind the bar. So it's like, oh, hey, Jason, good to, good to see you, even though it wasn't Jason, but. So it, it's predetermined once you get there. It's not predetermined prior to getting there. It's not like the agency says, here's your hunker down point. Like you have to find it. No. So you're casing when you get yeah. there. That's another thing agency officers are really good at is casing a place. So you're, again, you know everything about this place. You know, okay, where are the security cameras? Where are the one-way streets? Where's construction going on? Where are the places where I can go in and not blend in? Where's the Starbucks where I can pretend to be working for my laptop? Where's the gym that's the 24-hour fitness gym? 
So you know everything, but again, you are always taking care of people and you make people fall in love with you, meaning you that bartender, you're flirting with her and this and that. And hey, and so you'll, these places, you're building that relationship, meaning you may stop in there every single week just to get a drink, leave a good tip. That way you have that relationship if anything comes down the pipeline. Yeah. Uh, what was the seven year window of time that you were there? What year? So just a, a short period. Again, I can't. No, Go I know, on. but the the the, the seven-year period that you were in, what what was the the year uh, window of that? Oh, oh, from? seven. Okay, so I was there from 2003 to 2010. Okay, so yeah, I left the agency in 2010. And here's a, a funny, unique story about leaving. So I was getting ready to leave. I was at headquarters at the time, and we were working on some super secret ninja project. And I, you know, I decided, hey, I was single at the time, but I want to get married. I want to have kids. I had all these mentors because I joined at 23. Yeah. So a lot of these amazing mentors who were in their 50s and everything, but a lot of them were divorced. They hated their wife and kids. They were miserable when they weren't overseas somewhere. And some were alcoholics. And so I was like, yeah, I kind of see the writing on the wall. So seven years, I'd done things I want to do. I'd been blessed to learn amazing things. And so I went to my supervisor at the time, you know, print out my resignation letter. I'm super nervous. I'm like, oh, I mean... My mom died of cancer years ago, but my dad was still alive. And I was like, hey, I'm leaving the agency. And he's like, are you an idiot? You know, what's wrong with you? But your top secret security clearance, TSSCI with Lifestyle Poly. You have the golden ticket. Like, we're in a recession. It's 2010. He's like, you're the world's biggest moron. I was like, no, I want to. I want dad. Yeah, I want to go do my own thing. So I turned to my resignation, and we were working on this project that I was a big part of. And the guy was like, no, no, Jason, you can't leave. I was like, come with me. So he walks me up to let's just say the seventh floor and head honcho head honcho of course has no idea who i am doesn't know me he's like this is jason hansen he's an important part of this project x he wants to leave and he says well hey what if you gave it worked part-time you could you know keep your benefits give us like 24 hours a week it's like you can work for the agency part-time I, I don't know i mean again, i was out of headquarters so i did that for a little while but then i came back i was like listen guys i'm really ready to go and they try to convince me like hey, you know stay here stay here um, left on good terms. Agency's wonderful. I love it. I love them. Have nothing bad to say about them. Meaning anybody who's like, Hey, should I get a job at the CIA? Incredible men and women. Yeah. Uh, like everything else, you don't hear 99% of the stuff they actually accomplish yeah. and it actually goes on. Yeah. yeah all uh, you hear is the bad. Right. Shit. Correct. So, so yeah, I left in 2010 yeah. to start my own security company, but I mean, a buddy of mine, not too long ago was like, Hey, we're opening up this new place and uh, let's just say Asia. Right. We I want you to become my number two and help me open it up because it got uh, got exposed, blown up, right? Meaning they had to dismantle it. Everything got exposed and they want to build it up from scratch. And I was like, listen, I'm flattered, but you know, never in a million years. I've done too much TV. I've been on too many podcasts. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, they would have you back. No, at, no, no, not yeah, now, not yeah, now. I got you. Uh, but he just wanted me because he knew I was not an idiot, that I worked hard and I get things done. I was like, I'm flattered, but you know I can. Yeah, I got you. Um, so going back, the reason I why I asked about the, the year time frame period that Mm -hmm. that you were there is that you mentioned the hunker down spots and you know to me in in the recent you know seven eight years or however long it's been where airbnbs and vrbos have kind of exploded it seems like that that may be a, a better option in in most ways obviously there's some cons to staying in places like that and that you don't have cameras and, and security and, and things like that that you would have at a hotel but um, what is your thoughts on using places like that to stay? Would the agency find those attractive or, or would it so, be more troubling? So here's what I can tell you. When you use the term agency CIA safe house, right? 
everybody thinks it's like some, again, some ninja thing behind oh, yeah. granite walls. No, and, I know better than that. But. Right, right. The, the whole point is a safe house is it's supposed to look normal and boring. Yeah. It could be, you know, right now here we're in Dallas. It could be a suburb house in Dallas. It looks like everybody house. That could be the safe house. Yeah. It could be a hotel room. It could be an Airbnb. So anything can be a safe house. It's just a place where, you know, there are, some have skiffs depending on what kind of safe house it is, but it's a, it's a safety place to go where you know if you're needed. And a lot of these are, uh, I think I can say this, a lot of times people don't even know it's an agency safe house. Meaning you may own a house, right? And you're not there a lot and you're a renter and you just think I'm a normal tenant and I check in with you once a month and be like, hey, I just need to make sure that my house is always ready. It's always stocked with this and that. And you may think you're just working for some rich businessman who's coming and going and whatever yeah. type of thing. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a good example. So uh, extractions, right? Sometimes the agency has to get people out of the country. Sometimes agency employees have to get out of the country, right? And it's not like you're bringing in the military or anybody else, but you may have guys and you find who own vehicles, vans, buses, whatever, and say, hey, I work for a nonprofit. You know, we're the American blah, 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 blah. You know, some LLC, which is a, a shell LLC. And we just need you to be on call if we have our volunteers who need to get out of the country. And we'll give you, I'm just making this number up, all this I'm making up, um, we'll give you $1,000 a month to be on call, right? And so these guys, hey, 1000 bucks a month, I'm living like a king. All I got to do is have my bus gassed up and ready. Now, of course, you have to test these people, yeah. meaning you will go there and send agency people who just randomly, and obviously nothing's going down, but hey, you know, call them at 3 a.m. and say, hey, I've got a guy you need to pick up at the corner of 9th and 7th Street. And you're verifying that those people who are on the payroll are dependable, are dependable yeah. can get you across the border, can do what you need to do. And again, they think they're working for some yeah. nonprofit or some other organization. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is there a closest call uh, that you had personally that you can share other than the Wondering if you were being followed all Thankfully, along. no. Yeah. No, nothing crazy, nothing. I mean, your heart's pounding all the time, but a lot of it is like it's it's more mental, meaning yeah. you're like, I know these six guys are following me. I know they're going to put a bag yeah. over my head. Yeah. But it's like going overseas, right? I'm going through the airport once. And of course, you're lying out of your teeth. You're not saying, yes, what is your job? I work for the Central Intelligence Agency. And so you never want to end up in secondary, which is the really the, the room they grill you in. But you always have like, fake jewelry or fake Rolex, because when you get in secondary, if you get in there, the guys often just stare at you and you'd be like, oh, oh, you know what, please let me make my plane. And you know what, this watch, it was a gift from my ex-wife and I hate my ex-wife, do you want it? Yeah. And many countries of the world will be like, yes, I want it. Okay, yeah. here you go, give me on my plane, right? Yeah. But it's always playing the dumb American. So like going overseas, going through once this, I was going through this country and this woman is grilling me like nobody's ever grilled me before. And of course, I'm lying out of my teeth, but in inside, you know, your heart's pumping, your heart's pumping, and your brain starts to play tricks. Like, okay, she knows I'm agency. They're going to come out with their Uzis and just fill me full of lead. Yeah. But I was like, oh, you know, laughing and this and that. And, you know, we tend to overstare when we're lying. So I kept having to force myself to break my stare because we overstare because we want to see, like, does this person believe the words that I'm saying? And so I remember I just kept thinking, don't overstare, don't overstare. And then finally she let me go. But I was like, goodness gracious, like yeah. you, you put me through the ringer there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, is there, like, again, a lot of what I'm asking is uh, springboarded off of stupid shit that you see in movies, but uh, that's what most people think. Does the, does the agency give direction in terms of, like, hooking up with, with women? I mean, so... Because, I mean, to me, there's no easier way to get rolled up than 
Yeah, yeah. So if you hook up with a foreign person, you are in deep, 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 yeah. deep, deep trouble. Um, I will tell you, do you want to know who the most deadly, dangerous spies in the world are? I already know you know the answer to that. I do know the answer. <laughs> of course I want to know, but I, I bet I already know. Cuban women. Really? Cuban women, they're gorgeous, and they will seduce you and slit your throat. So the, yeah. the Cubans are trained by the Russians, and what I always tell people is they're so good because in the U.S. government, when you screw up, you get promoted, right? Nothing happens. <laughs> no shit. But... If you screw up in Cuba, you may get killed for real. Yeah. You may have your family killed for real. So they're very, very skilled at what they do. And like I had a Cuban woman once, like gorgeous, try to seduce me. And I'm not an idiot. So just like, you know, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. Yeah. Um, my A friend of mine had a spy versus spy thing where they were both trying to recruit the same person. And a Cuban woman was there kind of thing. So beware of Cuban women is yeah. the moral of the story. That's, uh, that's wild shit. I had no idea that they were that uh, active as far as like... Cuba has a actual great assailant. intelligence service. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yes, no agency employees are sleeping with anybody. If you, I mean, right. I, I'd be overseas and, and again, you know, you sit down in a bar, I'm with some new guys and gorgeous women immediately descend on you. I was somewhere in Europe at the time and one of my buddies is like, hey, I, I think she really likes me. She <laughs> wants me to... She invited me back to her home. And I was uh, like, you idiot. I think yeah. she really doesn't like you. So Jesus, yeah. Um, that's funny shit. The, uh, is, is there a piece of spy gear tech wise that, uh, you know, whether it's something from a movie or something that, that you can share that's fucking cool that, uh, that people would get a kick out of. So it's important to remember that a lot of times, if you're an agency employee, you're walking down the streets, you, you're, you're a cover, meaning you're a normal person. So if you get pulled over and you get caught with 17 radios and comms gear and you're all this stuff, yeah. you're in deep, deep crap. So it's the guys who are the planting bugs or whatever. Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, there's amazing gear. A lot of it's classified, but think of any cool listening device that you could never detect in a million years. It's yeah. small as could be, uh, which is why, I mean, a great agency thing involving my buddy was an ambassador. We needed to bug his place, right? So one of the ways you always get to people is uh, you want an access agent. Meaning if I can't get to Mike, who's Mike's best friend? Maybe that's my access agent. Or yeah. where does Mike work out? Oh, his personal trainer. That's how I'm going to get to Mike is through his personal trainer. So got to this guy through one of his friends who turns out really didn't like him. He was willing to plant a bug in a, in a picture that the guy, this guy was giving to the ambassador. So we had the, you know, classic TV type of stuff, yeah. but you know, real life put the bug in the, the uh, picture, gave it to the ambassador. Ambassador was super happy, put it up in his house, had, you know, was able to listen for a while yeah. type of thing. So, wow. you know, when people give me gifts these days, well, I'm <laughs> I, throw them away. I seriously do. A lot of, <laughs> I'm so them. paranoid. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, it could be a bug in here. It's gone. Uh, that's a trip. Um, one of the things you mentioned tactics wise, I uh, was going to a Starbucks and pretending to be on a laptop or if, you know, if you're at dinner trying to, you know, uh, bore somebody to death that you think might be following you. I'm assuming you have cover phones or burner phones that you take there and that aren't any of your own personal shit on it. But when you're on your phone or on your laptop, I mean, is it like, I mean, are you playing fucking solitaire or like, or looking at fake documents or what, like what's on the screen? Cause right, 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 yeah. are so looking at just it. what you said, whatever you want, you could be looking at cat videos on YouTube. Yeah. You can play, playing. So, I mean, you're looking like you're, Doing Some stuff. You could, you could say, you know, what I like to do is I'm always a planner. 
So I do stuff that was, of course, non-classified, meaning like, okay, oh, uh, you know, my birthday's coming up. What do I want to do with my birthday? I'm going to put notes of, I want to go to yeah. dinner, you know, stupid stuff like that. Yeah. Just do it. Um, and of course, you're looking up and you're trying to sit somewhere where you can see everybody coming in without being too obvious. You're, you're seated there. And like one of the things you do is a lot of times when you're going into, let's say you're in a big European city, right? Is everybody's on the payroll for the, for the government in a lot of these places. Like if you go to France, your hotel room is going to be bugged. I mean, all and they, they, it's not like America where somebody comes in and says, hey, we want to put a bug underneath this table in your restaurant. You're like, not a chance, buddy. Get out of here. Many of those countries, they'll bug right when underneath the table. So if you go in and the hostess says, oh, Mr. Hansen, again, not name I'd use, but Mr. Hansen, we want to put you at this table. I'd say, you know what? I really would love that one. Can I get over there? And then you, you choose the table. You don't let them sit you where you yeah. want to sit you because a lot of times, again, it'll be bugged. Yeah. Is that... You're saying in France, like even for just regular tourists? like Yeah, because they think if you're, again, depends on where you're staying. If you're staying in the American businessman, nicer hotels, whatever, they're either trying to get your info, meaning, hey, this guy works for Microsoft. He's got some good data we need. Or they think, no, he really doesn't work for Microsoft. He doesn't worry work for XYZ Business Corporation. He's an American spy. Really? Because when you go overseas as an American male, which is why women spies are awesome. Female, they just, people let their guard down. They trust women more and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of countries, as soon as you get over there, they're like, all right, he's a spy. Yeah. Uh, are you, would you say France is the most uh, strict or paranoid of of the, uh, we'll call them NATO or yeah, European I mean, Union? Yeah, I mean, everybody spies on everybody. We already know that. I mean, ally knows. I mean, Israel, great security, but Israel spies the crap on the United States. They steal a lot of United States information. So even though we're all allies, it's always everybody spying on everybody, which is yeah. why... <laughs> When I go overseas, and I don't go overseas that much anymore unless it's a job-related type of thing, you know, I'm not taking anything fancy. I'm not saying anything in my hotel room. I assume everywhere is bugged. And as soon as you get in a hotel room, especially when you're working with the agency, it's not like you can start looking underneath your bed and filling around. You have to assume you're under surveillance. Yeah. Because if you're under surveillance and I get over to France and I'm looking around my hotel, they're like, okay, that guy's a spy because he's looking around yeah. like a crazy person yeah. trying to find the bugs. Yeah, that makes sense. Um is there a toughest country, surveillance-wise, uh, internationally, in your opinion? So, Russia. Really? Yeah. Even more so than China with all their... Yeah, Russia is just because they're so well-trained. Yeah. Um, Camera-wise, do they have the, the highest concentration? I don't know. If, I don't know that answer. Yeah. But they just... Yeah, and again, it goes back to they're much more motivated because if they screw up... Yeah. I mean, I can tell you a story without telling you a story where... So, there's an unwritten rule in the intelligence business where you don't go after somebody's uh, wife and kids, right? So if you signed up for the CIA, you're fair game, meaning they can do whatever they want to you, torture you, kill you, yada, yada, yada. But you don't mess with somebody's wife and kids. Something tells me Russia doesn't play by those rules. Nah, right, yeah, Russia, well, I'm a, so this, there was this story of a, a guy who, this podunk country, right? Agency officers in there, he's undercover, of course. There was an agent there of that podunk intelligence service who says, you know, I bet he's CIA. He's a white male. He's an American white male. I bet he's CIA. And so he goes to the, the um, nanny they had for the newborn baby and says, will you put this vial in there? She says, no, no, no. They're a great family. I love them. I love them. And she says, just put this vial in there. I want to send a message that, you know, I, I know, I think he's CIA. And she's like, no, no, no. He says, well, if you don't do that, I'm going to kill your family. So the woman pours the vial in. Baby gets super sick. They can't find out what's wrong with it. It's going to die. Finally, the nanny comes forward and says, I put this vial in here. I'm so, so sorry. This guy said he was going to kill my family. He said he was with the intelligence service. And they gave the baby the antidote. Baby was fine. 
So let's just say somebody very high up in our U.S. government calls the head of this intelligence service and says, we got a problem here. One of your guys just poisoned a baby. That's a no-no. And he says, I didn't authorize it. That's a no-no. We know, you know, please do not rain down hell on us. Give me a week and I'll solve this problem. He says, okay, you got a week. Week goes by, they deliver a newspaper to the uh, embassy for the newspaper. This agent of that foreign intelligence service, I think his cover was like an account or something. It says, John Doe of our government, an accountant, was brutally murdered during a carjacking. Oh, shit. Wow. And then the, the guy called and said, hey, did you see today's newspaper? And he says, I did. He says, see, I told you I'd take care of the problem. Now, again, yeah. that goes back to you screw up in other countries, yeah. there's a penalty. You screw yeah. up in the U.S. government, not really yeah. a penalty. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive. I mean, it, so, I mean, you said it's an unwritten rule. I mean, do, do most countries kind of adhere to that? Yeah, because the problem is, if we start going after your wives and kids, you're going to start going after our wives and kids. They're gonna, it's going to be a whole yeah. it's like really nu- ugly. nuclear warfare. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. and it still is, in a way, a gentleman's business. When yeah. you're dealing with nations, right? And we're not right. talking about terrorists. We're yeah. talking about other countries. Yeah. But it still is a, a gentleman's type of business where, no, unless it's an intelligence officer themselves, you do not touch yeah. anybody related to yeah. them. Um, food wise, like in the different places that you've been, um, is there guidance again during training and stuff to, to try to be careful about what you eat, where you eat, like how, how in depth do they go? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't ever take food from somebody. So I remember one time I was doing surveillance, one of my long things and you get to, again, you're around walking around this place. You get to know people, you get to make friends in case you ever need them in case you say, Hey, I need a ride out of here or whatever it might be. Um, and I remember some younger women who I'd made friends with and they were like, Oh, and again, I keep saying Jason, but that wasn't my name, obviously, you know, Jason, we brought you this special, let's just say hot chocolate and cookies kind of thing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And then I take it around the corner and dump it yeah. because I'm not, no matter who, I mean, even though I'm sure everything was fine. Yeah. So it was like, okay, go to normal restaurants. Do not, you know, the guy on the street who shows up and offers you food. Yeah. Don't, don't be stupid in that measure. I gotcha. Um, Again, a, a movie metric. Do you guys take anything with you over there in case shit goes bad uh, to, you know, like you see the, the tooth with fucking poison in it or like, I mean, oh, are there, are there ever any measures like that where nothing? No, I mean, you'll have stuff maybe sewn into your lapel. So you'll have escape and evasion kit, right? The yeah. lock pick sets, the, the, that type of stuff. But it's mostly, you know, here's the plan. Here's, here's the bat phone to call. Yeah. Here's your extraction plan. Here's where you're going. Here's your hunker down. Here's the safe house. Here's where you're going to go. Here's somebody wrote a book and it's a good book. And I don't remember you made six ways in 12 ways out. Is that the name of the book? Um, oh. It was, a, I, I want to say it was a former army ranger or something, but it's basically kind of like that. Okay. Here's your 70, not 75, but you know, here's your five ways out. If something goes down. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, is there a movie or a TV series that, that you're aware of that is the closest accurate representation of your job or so there was generally speaking there's a television show called quantico and i don't even know if it's still on but anyways the second season it's an fbi show but the fbi goes to the farm to be trained by the cia in season two and i think i watched the first three seasons but they do surveillance detection route training they talk about the lingo that that was whoever the agency guy was the technical advisor did a good job there but I always tell people, most of the shows are not anywhere accurate yeah. because the agency, you have to look boring. You have to blend yeah. in. There's no excitement to yeah. it. If you saw me running surveillance, if you saw me running my surveillance detection route, you'd see a guy walking down the street into a shop. Yeah. It's not exciting. It's not 
It's not anything that would keep you in a movie for two yeah. hours. Have you seen the Jason Bourne movies? I have, yes. Is there anything out of there that's fucking <laughs> no, no, Not no. a single fucking no, thing? No, I mean, awesome, entertaining yeah. movies. Yeah. I love them. So but it's the exact opposite of that. Correct. Yeah. Maybe they're paying you to say that, right? Maybe. Could maybe, be. Maybe you're fucking Pay Jason me more. Bourne. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right. So European vacation-wise, um, yes. can, can you advise uh what countries would be cool to okay to go to and, and ones that you probably don't want to go to is, is there a, a contrast there uh for europe most places are safe right i love greece i'm a fan of greece beautiful place i i recommend greece um greek women are beautiful and when they come and try and seduce you do not fall for it that's yeah. the important message so if somebody said, where would you not go besides the obvious countries of don't go to Iraq and Afghanistan and North Korea, Mexico. Yeah. I tell everybody not to go to Mexico. If you knew how bad Mexico really, really was, you would never go there. Yeah. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. But as far as like the Europe places, go to Paris or go to France, go to Italy. I mean, all beautiful places I've been to. Yeah. Um, so really no, I mean, other than the obvious, like there's parts of, of, right, right. of any yeah. country. Yeah, that don't go bad. walking down the dark alley at 3 a.m. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, yeah, have common sense. And I always like tell people like, listen, don't don't wear your Boston Red Sox hat and stand out like an American. Yeah. And that was the beauty of when I was overseas in those places. I was like, all of you are the typical obnoxious American. And I love it because it draws so much attention. <laughs> We're always focused on me yeah. just walking around minding yeah. my own business. Would you take it a step further and whether it's professionally, well, I guess, especially doing what you did for a living where like if you're in, let's say, uh, the UK or France, like you, you get a soccer jersey of a popular player. Sure, and walk, like. absolutely, and that's one of the things that we don't do. Also, as Americans, yeah. I mean, America is the greatest country in the world. There's no place better. I love it, but when you go overseas, try to assimilate. Yeah. Meaning, even if you hate soccer, buy a soccer jersey. Even yeah. if you hate rugby or whatever it is, yeah. blend in and try. And I mean, I do. I'm kind of attempting to learn Spanish, kind of thing, because I do some work with Hispanics and all this and that, but. Yeah, assimilate, show, and they appreciate it too. Yeah, um, I was going to tell you now. Go, I was going to tell you the bribing police overseas story. Yeah, so please do. So obviously, when you're overseas, you got cash on you. You're never going to put it all in one place. But somebody I'm with does something stupid without can't go into details on it. But a surround, I think it was maybe three police officers, right? And of course, the last thing you want to do is end up in foreign prison because then you're in your foreign. Yeah, it's like a mess. So first thing is, play the dumb American, right? Oh my gosh, officer, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And in most places overseas, you can bribe your way out. It's not mm. like here in the U.S. Yeah. where you try bribing, it's going to get you in yeah. worse, worse stuff. So I know there's a good chance I'm going to bribe my way out of this. So I'm playing, oh my gosh, you're so, so sorry. So of course, I don't just whip out my, my fat bill and be like, all right, here you go, get out of here. Um, I'm like, I bet there's a fine to pay, officer. How do I pay this fine? Yeah. You know, and I'm pretending to shake. I mean, I'm nervous, but I'm also pretending to like overdo shaking. And so the guy looks at me and he says, yes, there's a fine to pay. And it's broken English. You know, I don't speak. He was, he was speaking broken English. Yes, there's a fine. And it's $50 of that equivalent. In my mind, I'm thinking like, you idiot. You could have got me yeah. for every dollar I had on me. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, $50. That's such a big amount of money. I'm so, so sorry. So I give the guy 50 bucks. He lets me go. lets us all go. Yeah. And I wanted to murder the person I was yeah. with who got us in that jam. But it's just... You know, I never say don't, and I, I train a lot of people in this, like, just don't whip out your money. Say there's a fine to pay. Yeah. Because on the rare chance that police officers are not corrupt, they're just going to say you pay it Monday morning or you pay it yeah. at the police station. So no, that's, that's really good advice. Um, is, is there a 
standard ballpark amount of cash that you guys would carry or is it just totally dependent? Totally dependent. So I like just personally 600 bucks and that's $300 of US dollars with one $100 bill. Because if you shove a $100 bill in somebody's face anywhere overseas, you're getting out of that back. You're getting a ride. or I mean, it, it'll move mountains. Yeah. Um, and then $300 equivalent, just again, you got to have currency. Yeah, and local yeah. currency. That's the most you would take? I mean, like if you're, if you're going on an actual sanctioned agency trip, I mean, are you well, taking thousands, I would hope? Well, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, yeah. who do you have to bribe? What's who the most you, you ever took overseas? Um, so that's classified, but let's just <laughs> say, let's just say if you were, I'm again, making up a hypothetical yeah. number. I mean, if you're having to bribe your way and do a lot of stuff, you may have 50,000, you may have a hundred thousand, you may have yeah. 200,000. I mean, if you're just going over there, just nothing bribe wise, you may have, let's just say a thousand dollars you keep in your room at all time, but $600 on your person yeah. for just walking around. Yeah. But strategically one $100 bill, you don't want to have too many of them, right? Or, or you're a fucking target. Right, right. I mean, right now, these days I have too much money on me, but... Yeah. but I mean, yeah, yeah. over there in that Yeah, yeah, in yeah that right, right. Like, but like, again, like trying to extract something for the listener if, if they wanted to go to Europe, you know, and, and be a tourist and be smart about it, if they, if they do find themselves in a pinch, that, that would be the, a good course of action is 300 US, 300 That's what I would and, do. Because yeah. again, I mean, you only use this in a serious, yeah. dire circumstance. Because, not to interrupt, but you know, if, if you pull out, 10,000 10, in cash and there in hundreds and a cop's going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, right, now correct. And you have it all. I mean, if you're going to a bad place, you may have it taped like yeah. right under your testicles yeah. kind of thing. You may have it taped to your leg. You may Do have, you right now? Is that what's going on? <laughs> I was going to make a very inappropriate joke, which I and That's, which that's I what this show's all about. So yeah, drop it like it's hot. You can uh, say whatever you want. But um, yeah, so I mean, I guess the going back to, to the advice portion, um, are there any other like cool secret hiding places or, or things that people can do or should do uh, in those environments? I mean, if you're really worried, your shirt collar, you would have, you have a lockpick set, you might it's have a strike into sewn into yeah. it. Yeah, nobody see it. Same thing like the cuffs of the pants, you could have it sewn into it where you're going to have a, a lockpick set, maybe a yeah. handcuff key and all. Nobody's ever going to see. And yeah. when you get searched, you got to remember, if you're going to get kidnapped, they're going to take your shoes. So yeah. you don't want to hide all the valuable stuff in your shoes because your shoes are going to vanish. Yeah. Um, so that that's, again, that's really extreme, having it sewn in yeah. so good where nobody's going to see it. Now, for me, going overseas these days, you know, I'll, I'll still have it, but it's not sewn in. Meaning I'll have paracord. Yeah. I'll paracord shoelaces because you can escape rope, zip ties. I mean, all kinds of stuff with, with paracord and all that. But it'll look innocuous. Again, if I go overseas these days, it can be like, all right, this guy's got a kit. Why does he have a gun? Okay, he's got a, uh, you know, he's got a paper clip. Yeah. He's got stuff that does that I can, I can MacGyver if I need to. Yeah. Was uh, lock picking a, a part of the course that you went through? Like, are you... Ver so that's one of the things I can't confirm or deny. But what I can say is I'm good at picking locks. Yeah. And even though I've, I've forgotten a lot. So one of the beautiful things about the agency is you can take a wide variety of courses. I mean, they're all about education, of course. Like you can just take them, even if they don't necessarily. Right, sometimes there are courses that don't necessarily line up with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, cool. And you, you can take it. So there's a tremendous amount of good training. Is that all in-house too, or do they bring people in? Do they send you places? Mo the, most of it is in-house. Yes, there are some places where they send you yeah. Um, in the United States, where, of course, the people you're going to have no idea who you are. Yeah. Uh, but yes, a lot of it is in-house, the majority of it. Yeah, I got you. Um, is, was there ever any instances where, um, like, super good deal-wise that you got out of uh, overseas trips where it was like, 
vacation spots or getting to rent cool cars or, or do shit that like you would only get to do in the agency, like any perks, I guess that, cause you know, like in the military, there's times where we might do a cross training trip with somebody and it's like the King of Jordan's special units guy and he mm-hmm. spoils them. So we go get to do something that like you couldn't fucking pay to do. So that, that happened to somebody's mind. Never happened to me where they were doing some protection work for, yeah, one of the Kings. I yeah. can't remember what King. And they gave him a Rolex. And as the story goes, and this is just my mind remembering the story. So if you got gifts, you know, you could only keep something what, worth over $100 or whatever that is. But the, the King had his team say, these Rolexes, these $25,000 Rolexes are $75. Here's the receipt. And <laughs> no they, shit. Yeah, and they got wow. to keep them. Damn, that's cool. Yeah, not, not me though. Yeah, well, of course not, right? Um, what haven't I asked you about your time in the CIA that I should have? See, I told you why I left. Um, man, you asked so many great questions. There's nothing jumping in my mind. It's really... Any other super cool stories that, uh, that you can share? Um, I can share. So there was this... I'm going to share this one very vague. A guy I know. How about that? Yeah. A, a, a friend of a friend of a guy. I know. So there was this uh, drug dealer, real nasty guy, in South America somewhere. And he, remember the movie Face Off? Yeah. Great movie, right? Yeah. He basically pulled a face off. He'd gone to some guy and no essentially, shit. yeah, wow. he said, hey, I'm going to give you $10 million. Give me all your documentation, your passports, your birth everything. I'm going to assume your identity. And you have to go to this island somewhere, not anywhere in the United States, not anywhere in Latin America. You can never return here again, but here's $10 million, right? And so the agency thinks they have located this drug dealer who are trying to make vanish, right? Bad guy. But unlike the movies, you can't just immediately snatch and grab somebody. Yeah. You have got to do a tremendous amount of recon, tremendous amount of surveillance. You've got to get DNA evidence. You've got to get hair, <coughs> hair samples. You've got to get fingerprint samples, which is why you go in weeks and months in advance, why you build those friendships. That way, when the girl at the bar who's basically in love with you and you, the drug dealer, you know, his restaurant holds the glass, you can literally go up and just snatch the glass and say, hey, I need this. And she's like, oh, okay. And she doesn't care, right? I mean, yeah. she's that in love with you. Yeah. So you can do all that. Then after, again, not, I can't tell you the exact time, but months and weeks and whatever, you have verified DNA, fingerprints. Okay, this is John Doe drug dealer, right? But this specific dr- drug dealer a lot of these drug dealers, they own the towns they're in, right? So they're giving them all kinds of money. Everybody's in love with them. They think they're great, even though they're horrible drug dealers because they prop up the town and, hey, you need money this month? Here's money this month. So he didn't have that great of security. He had a, two bodyguards in front, two bodyguards in the back. He liked to drive his fancy car. So it was a three-car motorcade, nothing big deal. Very habitual because human beings are habitual. Had this nightclub, for lack of a better word. Go there, let's just say 5 o'clock p.m. every single day for the hookers, for the whatever. So follow this guy around and happen to be at a big intersection. So this guy's nightclub goes there at 5 p.m. every single day, massive intersection. Now remember with the agency, you don't want to shoot out. You don't want any bullets fired. So you've got to figure out how to snatch and grab this guy without bullets fired. And his bodyguards all have, you know, they were, let's just say AKs, right? They've got all AKs and everything. He had a, he carried a a pistol, but he's a knucklehead. You didn't have to worry about him. So how do you snatch and grab this drug lord in essentially broad daylight without any bullets being fired, without an international incident? Here's how you do it, in case you want to know for the next time you're going to snatch and grab a drug lord. You have intelligence officer here, major intersection. You have intelligence officer here, major intersection. You have team hiding somewhere, 
let's just say five men, five man team. These are your guys or local guys? No, no, no. These are, these are all uh, intelligence officers, okay. all intelligence officers. But remember the beauty of America is it's a melting pot. Yeah. So they look blend Mexican, in. they blend yeah. in, they, you know, it's not five guys, five white guys yeah. who are sitting there kind of thing. So you know he's going to pull up at 5 p.m. on the dot because he's so habitual. So somebody's obviously running surveillance, watching the guy, says, okay, he's approaching, he's approaching, he's approaching. As soon as he approaches, you take off from your intersection, the two agency officers, boom, fake, well, real car crash, but yeah. fake car crash. As soon as the guy gets out, that car crash happens. He immediately turns to look at his car crash. All his bodyguards immediately turn to look at his car crash. You have the guys, the team jump out from behind, just self-defense moves, take him down very, very quickly. You put a bag over the drug lord's face. You take the drug lord to a private airfield, a private plane, take him out of the country where he's not going to be in the United States, where he's going to be in a place yeah. where no laws yeah. apply to him and he's never going to be seen again. Black so, site treatment. So if there were such things, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so uh, how how were his uh, all the bodyguards that are armed? How were they distracted long enough for that to happen? So they're coming up from behind, and let's just say there's two two guys to every single bodyguard. Okay. So a quick blow to the head, not to kill him because we don't yeah. care about killing the guy, but a quick blow to the head and the the nerve on the side knocks him out. So all you're doing is zip tying him real quick. You're not killing him. You're disarming him, and then you're out. I mean, it's this gone in sixty seconds, yeah, essentially type of thing. Damn, that's wild. So that makes me curious, uh, in your times overseas, are you carrying? So vast majority of the time, no. Yeah, that seems and, dicey. Right, and the reason is, is because if you, you get, get pulled over, you yeah. have a gun. So that's what I tell people, like 99% of the time, you're not carrying a firearm. Um, I always carried a knife. I was really, you know, I'd carry a knife. Again, I've got a knife clipped in my pants here today. Yeah. I don't care. Overseas, I'm not clipping a knife to my pants pocket because then they'll see it. But I always had a knife at the appendix position, a fixed blade. Yeah. And so I always carried a knife. I wasn't worried about getting caught with that because I always wanted some type yeah. of self-defense thing. But yeah, you're rarely carrying a gun. Yeah. Any other uh, protection means like pepper spray, bear spray, or anything like that? that a pen. Carry? I mean, I carry a tactical pen every day yeah. right now. Like, you know, one of these yeah. things that we have to jab somebody with it. But yeah, a pen that you could use for self-defense. Yeah. So mainly my things, unless I was carrying a gun, it was, would be a pen and a knife. Yeah, I got you. Do you have a favorite knife manufacturer for that application? Ooh. No, I, geez. I have a lot of knives produced for myself mm -hmm. based on what I want. And it's a company, actually, I can't tell you who it is only because he produces a lot of the knives for, yeah. for Gerber and all those kind of companies yeah. type of thing. But yeah, I get a lot of my one-off knives just because I like creating knives. Yeah. I'm a knife junkie. Yeah. But you, you know, there's a million and one great knife companies out there. Yeah. So you're not going to endorse anybody. I'm not going to endorse yeah. anybody yeah. just because I haven't been made for me for one-off. Yeah. Amen. Uh, all right. So you decide to get out. Um, you start your own company. Where does Shark Tank and uh, specifically the New York Times book... Um, the spy secrets, uh, wh where where do those fall into the timeline from when you got out until as you sit here? So it was about four years after I left the agency. So I was doing a lot of uh, corporate work where companies would almost literally sneak me in the back door. So I do work for a Fortune 500 company, multi-billion dollar company, and they'd have a security problem. Maybe they have a, a kidnapping problem in Brazil or whatever, and they need my help. And I'd go in, and remember, I'm, I just left the agency. I don't know anything but government work. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're a multi-billion dollar company and you have four people on your security team. You have one guy in Australia, one guy in England, one guy in the US. I mean, it's like, what? This is your yeah. security. So I was doing a lot of corporate work, but I didn't enjoy it because of course there's lawyers involved and it's a pain in the butt. 
And a buddy of mine was like, oh, you got to go train more civilians. But remember, I'm still in the agency mindset. Like I'm very private. I don't want anybody to know what I do. I don't want anybody to know who I am. And I had some business mentor finally come to me and say, like, Jason, are you good at what you do? I said, yeah, I believe I'm very good at what I do. Well, guess what? Nobody's going to friggin' know if you don't go promote yourself, if you don't get out there and, and tell about yourself. So somebody told me about the show Shark Tank. And I said, oh, it was so like not me. Once I was yeah. so out of my comfort because I'm a very, very private person. Yeah. Um, and they were like, ah, you should just go. And I remember, I hate to say this, like they send you this contract to sign and I X out all this stuff. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and they send it back to me. And they're like, that's not how yeah, this works. Yeah, so you, take it or leave yeah, it. Yeah, take it yeah, or leave yeah. it. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sign it. So I went on Shark Tank. It, it turned out great. Yeah. Wonderful experience. Got to deal with Damon John. What was the product? So I was doing this training. I have some escape and evasion okay. surveillance detection training that I do. Yeah. And I pitched the seminar to them. And it was, it opened me up to the masses, meaning that's when I started doing all training to next door neighbor, high net worth individuals, celebrities, everything I'm doing now. And of course I love it. I'm one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's great. I'm glad that I kind of shifted my mindset and got out of my comfort zone of being the guy nobody knows. Yeah. So I, uh, I've had one other guest on here that was on Shark Tank and I asked him a little bit, but I'm curious your experience with, uh, kind of uh, what's shown versus what actually happens. Is there a huge disparity? Yes. So I was in there for 55 minutes. They boil it down to what, eight to 10 minutes. Yeah. So they don't show a lot of things that happen. And then you make a deal on there, but then they come back to you and say, we want to check your books. We want to run all your, because yeah. obviously a lot of entrepreneurs go on there and say, my business is doing a hundred million yeah. a year. And no, it isn't. Right, right. Yeah. They come back and okay, your business made a dollar yeah. last year. <laughs> yeah. So they check your books and I found out that only about 30% of the deals that close, close in real life um, yeah. after the TV, only yeah. 30% of them close when right. they offer them a deal. And so mine did close. I did end up doing the deal yeah. with Damon John, but they want to verify that you're not lying like half the people are. Those, that 70% are full of shit. Basically. Correct. Yeah. yeah, they'll say like, hey, I have a purchase order with Walmart. They're going to put my product on. Yeah. And the guy's like, well, I have a cousin that works at Walmart and he said he might be able to help me, but they have no purchase order or any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, is, is there any uh, almost kind of scriptedness to it where like you come in, give them the pitch, and like if you fuck it up, they're like, go out and start it over again. Or is it totally so off the cuff? So this was... So you, they, you script the intro, meaning <clears throat> the first 30 seconds, they script for you, and that's it. Like and, a teleprompter or what? No, no, no. Meaning they tell you what they want you to do. Okay. So I came out, I, I thought it was so corny, but again, it went back to, do you want to be on the show or not? Yeah. So if you say, I'm not doing that, they're like, well, get the fuck out. Right. Really? So it was, I was, I came in a disguise <laughs> and, you know, I, I took off my wig and I mean, it was yeah. so cliche, fuck, so corny. I don't think I could do it. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was bad. But then after that, it's totally not scripted. And they yeah. tell you, they say, you only have one chance. Yeah. Like there's no do-overs. There's no, there's no nothing. Was, yeah. Uh, anything else? No, I'm just, I mean, yeah. again, it was like, I'd see some reactions. It was 55 minutes I was in. They yeah. boil it down to the 10 minutes. Yeah. And so I'd see them say things and then they'd put my reaction there. I was like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Like they, yeah. they really spliced yeah. it up well. Yeah. Was there a, a lot of other people there like in waiting rooms? Like do they just. So what they do is they have trailers. Like think of just a normal RV trailer. Yeah. And I can remember 10 of them on a lot and you're each in your own trailer. And they basically say your call time is 815. Your call time you. is 915. Yeah. And they say, listen, you may be in there 10 minutes. You may be in there two hours. So 
you're on deck and I'd sit on deck and I can't remember my guy was maybe in there for 30 minutes before it was my turn. Yeah. And they just, I mean, it's a cattle call. They, they do 12 of these in a day type yeah. of thing. Are the trailers hooked up like mini bar and snacks and shit? No, it was had air conditioning. I yeah. do remember that, but yeah, it was just a normal travel trailer. Yeah. I think you had some bottles of water, but yeah. no, nothing Hollywood, nothing fancy. Did you, did you drop a dump in the toilet at least? <laughs> I don't think I was probably, I was so nervous because yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm doing, it was again, I'm going on TV. It was against yeah. everything I was training, everything I knew. Yeah. So I was like, oh, should I be doing this? Yeah, that's wild. Where Where is it at, in L.A.? Or? Yeah, it was in L.A. I don't yeah. even remember where it was filmed, but they bring you in, you stay to, you know, put you in a holiday inn, and then they yeah. bust you down to the actual studio. Yeah. Were, were there parts of it, uh, questions that they asked, or any parts of that entire process that take place uh, or took place for you uh, that, that don't air? I mean, I know that a lot of it doesn't air, but, like, is there a – a, a part of it that they do that, that isn't ever going to be shown that, that most contestants are going to go through that you're aware of? No, I mean, I, they, they like to show train wrecks. They like yeah. to, I mean, they like to make it as natural as possible, which is why they only scripted that first 30 seconds. Yeah. But I remember, so Mark Cuban grilled me probably for five minutes pretty hard and then was going to make me a deal. And then Damon John stepped in and said, hey, here's my deal. Take it or leave it. You've got 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, I took Damon's deal and they didn't show Mark offer me, they didn't, but Mark said to me afterwards, he says, it's a good thing you took Damon's deal. It was a lot more generous than I was going to be. Yeah. What was uh, what was the deal you took? I want to say it was $150,000 for 30% of the business was Damon's deal. Yeah. And uh, and then once once you do that, I mean, the 30% that you're in that actually, it actually goes through. What does that process look like after that? I mean... Like, so Damon's great. I mean, yeah. nice guy. I So I guess I should say is we work together for a year. So a lot of it is, I mean, these guys are so busy. They're doing a million things. Yeah. Uh, so Damon's wonderful, great guy. I could call him whenever I wanted. I could email him when I, whenever I wanted. And it's mostly his network. Like, hey, yeah. Jason, you need a PR guy. Here's the PR, you know, hey, Jason, because I was making a gun belt. Oh, here's my, here's my manufacturer. So he's uh, hooking you into yeah. all the folks he knows. I got you. Uh, anything that, any other takeaways from uh, from the Shark Tank experience? Well, in the way it was like the agency. So you go in there, and I watched every single episode of Shark Tank that had ever taken place. I knew the questions they were going to ask. I prepared answers. Uh, my pitch that I was going to do, I, I literally re uh, practiced it over a thousand times. So everything comes down to hard work in life. Meaning, where you with the agency, you're going to do something. You know this from the military. You train it over and over and over until it becomes second nature, and you can do it on autopilot. So that's the exact same thing I did with Shark Tank. Because people going in, they were like, you know, you're a service business. They usually only do products. You're a, you're. A, I mean, I one of the best things I saw is some guy said, "Here's this guy who teaches escape and evasion and spy stuff. I'm sure the sharks are going to escape and evade his business." Yeah. Like that, and I thought it was very clever. Yeah. And so everyone was like, "There's no chance of getting a deal." But hey, I practiced. I knew. I mean, I'll tell you, there was a there was a. Uh, I can't name the businessman, but I was watching. I watched every single interview these guys had ever done too. And Damon John mentioned a businessman in during one of these interviews. And the businessman I talked to, he doesn't want me to mention his name, I don't know why, but I happen to know this businessman through some work I did. And this businessman said some very nice things about me, and I printed it out, and I put it on a, on a piece of paper. And I said, as they're pitching me and asking questions, I said, hey, Damon, by the way, you know so-and-so, and I do so-and-so. Pull out this piece of paper, and they didn't show this in the thing, yeah. but here's what he said. And at that moment, Damon's eyes lit up, and I was like, 
now I he knows him. we're yeah we're yeah. synergistic yeah. kind of thing. So That's it was cool. same thing for the agency. What do you do? Deep, deep, deep research. Yeah. So you know your target better than anybody else. Well, same thing I did with the sharks. I did more research than I guarantee anybody's ever done on it. Yeah, man, that's clever. I love it. Um, you worked with them for a year. Can you or do you mind sharing? And I know it, it would be different for everybody that's done deals with them. Some of them maybe stay stay together for a long time. Did he cash his thirty percent out, or is he? Yeah, still he got no. He got yeah. He got paid well. He got a very like how like, did that work? If good. You know, I mean, if you. Know I mean, it was sharing. hey, we worked together. We were making great money. I had to pay him what he was owed, okay. and then it was more like a one off. Like now, I could call him and say, "Hey, Damon, here's this deal. I want to do. Do you want a piece of the action?" Kind of thing. I got gotcha. you. Um, and, and do, do you have any idea, have you, like, have you talked to any of the other Shark Tank contestants that have been, like, I'm, I'm assuming there's not, like, a Shark Tank reunion at Applebee's I, I've or talked anything, to right? some of them, because yeah. some of them reach out to you after they say, hey, you know, you were on Shark Tank, I'm, yeah. I'm going on, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, everybody's different. Some yeah. people are still working with them. Some deals never go through. Some people have horrible experience. Some people have good experiences. Yeah. My experience was good. Yeah. Um, I was just reading about a guy who, uh, in Salt Lake... And he was actually, I met him. He was one of Damon's, um, what do you ever call him? Damon did a deal with him too. But he ended up being a con man and sexually assaulted a bunch of women is going to prison. And so I guess the long story short is not everybody pans out. Yeah, no shit. Um, I mean, I guess that's uh, the the story in all of life, right? Right, yep. Um, are you still a part of that business or did you sell the entire thing? Or? No, no, I still own the business, but okay. I own 100% of the business So now. you bought him out. Yeah, okay, correct. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Um, all right. So I know, you know, moving past that, you've written, you said 12 books. Yep. Uh, we'll focus on, uh, the best, best seller, the, uh, spy secrets that can save your life, uh, kind of encapsulate what, what that's about and, and what people can expect. And, and most importantly, what your motivation to write it was. So my motivation to write it was a lot of these, uh, luckily I have a lot of good people who talk sense into me because I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm not going to write and I don't want to be out there that much. And they're like, Jason, you should do this. You got good information kind of thing. And so it's, it's a, it's basically a spy's version of how to be safe. Meaning here's what you need to do to avoid carjacking. Here's how, here's human lie detection skills. That way you can tell if you're dealing with somebody or lying people. Here's how to escape duct tape rope. Here's how to pick locks if you need to pick locks. Um, here's surveillance detection routes if you need that. So it's encompassing everything I learned safety-wise without any giving any classified stuff. But, I mean, I've trained thousands of people over the years. Thankfully, only a small number of lives have been saved, meaning only a small number have had to use it. Yeah. But as I tell people, like the agency stuff I learned is you are walking around in broad daylight as a normal Joe, because that's your cover. So you're going to experience what normal Joes experience, which is why it applies to everybody. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I mean, it sounds great. Uh, that's also, I mean, it's a competitive space. Obviously, credentials-wise, uh, you know, you're... you're at, at the top of, of people that have written those types of books. Uh, have you gotten any shit or pushback from the agency? I know that they cleared it, but any, any buddies of yours are like, oh, you're that fucking guy writing books or like any, any of that? You want to hear the funny thing? So, of course, there are trolls out there. The yeah. only people who are trolls are, of course, people who have never been in the agency or military yeah. or whatever and just bitter that, hey, why is this guy selling a bunch of books where I know stuff too, but yeah. bitter But agency's been great. Agency guys have been gay, great. And a lot of the agency guys work for me now. Oh, okay. Meaning they're like, hey, Jason, yeah, we, saw, yeah, we yeah. saw you're here. We want to come work for you. Yeah. So I've got some great executive protection guys or agency. Yeah. I'm like, we, we had a billionaire not too long ago say, hey, I want to go over to Europe for two weeks. And I just yeah. want one bodyguard and one bodyguard only. So oh, I wow. sent one of my best former agency guys to go do this. And he did it. So yeah, that's, it's more been of, hey, Jason, we yeah. want a job. Yeah. 
Do you ever cherry pick some of that shit? Like if somebody says, hey, I want to go here, and you're like, fuck, I'd go on that trip. I used to. Yeah. Now that I'm married, I got six kids. Number seven is on the way. Holy shit. Uh, so I don't travel as much. So I don't, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like this European, it was a super wealthy guy. They were having dinner at the Porsche plant or yeah. whatever, BMW, all this. Yeah. I was like, man, yeah, if cool. I was single, I'd be going there. But yeah. this guy is single, yeah. which is why he went. Have you seen uh, Goodwill Hunting? Yes, I mean, I saw that years ago. Do you know how Matt Damon rattles off the names of all of his brothers really fast? Mm -hmm. Can you yeah. do that with your kids? Oh, no, I cannot. No, I can't. <laughs> I, I still, I asked my daughter the other day, I'm like, how old are you? Are you five Matt, or six? Dude, there's zero chance I can yeah. keep track of that many, that yes. many kids. Um, I guess, similar question, the other 11 books, do you know all of the titles of the 11 other books that you've read? I would have to go really, really slow. But well, I mean, that's at least encouraging because if you can name the books and <laughs> yeah, not your I can, kids, yeah, I can name the shit. I can name uh, yeah, I can name the books. That's <laughs> uh, classic. Uh, so what's what's going on now? I guess uh, obviously you still own the, the the company. You're doing a lot of the protection work and and uh, security advisory cons consultation type stuff. Um, you're continuing to do that. I'm assuming anything else that's going on. So we've got our 320 acres spy ranch out in Utah. We do a lot of training, evasive driving training, the self-defense. That's keeping us real busy, especially the self-defense yeah. training. We do something called Spy Dangerous that is basically stuff that I learned somewhere that I can't name. Um, so that's, yeah, every, everybody wants self-defense, which yeah. I totally understand these days. Yeah. Um, and then just a lot of home defense consulting, meaning I'll have a super wealthy person bring me in for a home security yeah. audit. And I enjoy those because yeah. it's a lot of money and I meet yeah. great people and all that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. Similarly, uh, you know, I sell personal protection dogs. I ha have for 15 years and same, same type of client, you know, you come in and, and, and in some instances working with guys like you, like they'll have hired somebody to do, you know, camera stuff or, right. or hire staff, yeah. you know, whatever. And so it's kind of liaisoning with that. So I, I certainly understand that, that part of it. Um, is there any famous clients you can mention or do you have NDAs? No, I have the NDA. Ever. I mean, you would yeah. know names yeah. uh, and I'm sure again, you, same you, thing. I, I'm sure we've had like crossover clients yeah, without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. Uh, but interesting enough, a lot of musicians too. Yeah. Like musicians yeah. love us for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, from an exposure standpoint, even more so than, than movie stars, like they're, they're always out in huge fucking groups right. of people, you know, I mean, yeah. even, you know, movie stars may be at a restaurant or a, a red carpet thing, but on set, like where they're performing, it's closed, you know, whereas musicians, I mean, similarly, like I've put dogs on buses and, and gone on tour with, with certain people or even having like yep. one at their residence with their security staff and one that goes with them. And I mean, that's a like security wise, they're a fucking nightmare. You know? They are. Like, and they take their security seriously. I yeah, always say they one have thing, to. most Hollywood celebrities would be dead if they yeah. had actual death threats because yeah. their security is an yeah. absolute joke. Oh, I know it. Yep. Uh, man, it's fascinating shit. I, I feel like I, uh, have asked you a ton, but I, I could continue to ask you, but, uh, Anything that I didn't ask you over the course of your entire career that uh, that is worth mentioning or that you'd like to share? I think you hit on it. I'm going right. to keep my mouth shut so the agency doesn't send me any more <laughs> cease and desist letters. Well, see, my goal was to get at least one <laughs> yeah. sent to you. To get somebody to yeah. put a put a yeah. hood over my head from behind here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where can everybody find you? Uh, what's, what's the easiest place to access all the different stuff that you have going on? So if you go to tacticalspyschool.com, or spybriefing.com. Either okay. of those websites, they can get a hold of me and easy yeah. place to find me. Awesome. Uh, thanks again for coming. I appreciate you sharing it. We do have a gift for you. We talked about a coin, so uh, oh, I, awesome. I, I got to give you one, but there's one under, there's a, another gift underneath that from John Johnston and Champion Choice Silver. 
Appreciate it. Thank well, if you're you. a big shit kicker fan, but if you want to open the box and show it to the camera, oh, so that's, that's why I was asking ooh, you about man. the colors uh, earlier. Good so, deal. Yeah, so you put right, your shit we, kickers on. I and, like that. Uh, and kick some shit. So, all right. Uh, for you guys, I appreciate you tuning in. If it weren't for you, uh, week after week, show after show, we wouldn't be able to bring you amazing guests uh, such as this gentleman. So, uh, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, feel free to choke yourself. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.